Is uh, Josephine here somewhere? Where's Josephine at? Oh, there she is. Come on up, Josephine. I could have the, the mic. You know, Josephine has been uh, asking me uh, for a couple of weeks now a really excellent request that, you know what? I don't get enough of these requests, and I'm going to put that on you guys. I need a little bit more of these requests. She said, Pastor, um, I want to share testimony. Amen? You know, there's stuff happening in our lives all the time that we could be thankful to the Lord for. And sometimes we just keep it in. But sometimes it's so, God is so great that you can't keep it in. And you need to proclaim it. And so Josephine wants to share a, a, a testimony of some changes that have happened in her life. And so, um, Josephine, um, you're here before the church and your God is good. And, and tell me, how is life for you right now? How are the relationships in your life? How is uh, your life going right now? My life is good today. I'm so happy. The Lord has given me peace with people. I can mingle with people. I can do things with people. I agree with almost everybody. I don't have enemies in my life. The Lord has given me peace, even in my neighborhood. Uh, the Lord has given me even like to be almost, uh, to get along with almost all of my like my neighbor in, in, in the building where I live. So I'm praising the Lord for that. Amen. So yeah. just keep sh kept sharing with me over and over that, you know, she feels like she has relationships in the church. She feels like she has peace in the church. She has peace in her neighborhood. And she's just being able to uh, make connections with people and so forth. And uh, was life always like this? Have you always had peace? Have you always had an easy time making relationships? Oh, it wasn't all. It wasn't the same thing before. I have really su suffered for almost 15 to uh, no, 14 to 15 years. I suffered for trouble with relationship. I, I felt that I was not accepted. I felt that I was rejected. I felt that people were just uh, gossiping about me, calling me bad names, bad things about me. I I never had peace, and I was so. It was so depressing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, in from a life of no peace to a life of peace, and doesn't the Bible say something about Jesus and peace? Amen. Yeah. And so, what made the difference in your life? Well, what do you attribute this change to? I attribute this change to God Almighty. It's God who has worked this. He has given me this peace because on my own, I have already given up. I gave up. So it's God who did this, and I'm grateful for, for the Lord. Amen. Put it a little bit higher, a little bit higher there. So um, I, Josephine, praise God for your testimony, and I'm so excited. I know a little bit more details, and so I'm really praising God for what's happening in your life. But I would dare to say that maybe you're not the only one who has gone through relationship or no peace in your life. Maybe there's uh, even someone here sitting who is here in church because they're looking for peace. Their life is troubled. They're anxious. Maybe there's relationship problems here at the church, maybe at their home, maybe in their neighborhood, maybe in their workplace. What advice would you, would you give to someone who's in that situation today? I would advise that person not to give up. I would advise that person to pray over it and wait on the Lord and work with the Lord because the Lord is good and He is powerful and on the right time He will do a miracle. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Who wants to raise their hand and say thank you for the testimony? 
Amen. Thank you, Josephine. You can have a seat. And again, I put it out there. I'm willing to cut my sermon five minutes short. If you have a testimony, you need to, you, you can't hold back and you want to share with the church, please come to me. We want to, we want to have this church filled with praises and testimonies. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for coming to University Seventh-day Adventist Church, and uh, thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. I am so happy to be back. I've been at the Spanish Church for a couple of weeks, but you're grateful to be worshiping on the Sabbath morning? Are you happy to be seated to the person to your left or to your right? Yes? Whether you know them or not, why don't you turn to them and say, hey, uh, thank you for sitting next to me. Thank you for being right next to me. They could have sat anywhere, really, right? You know, especially if uh, you're with a friend or a husband or a wife or someone you love, you, you really got to take advantage and appreciate sitting next to them during church. I don't think I've sat next to my wife in church for the last 10 years or something. I've been up here. She's been down there. So uh, today we're going to be talking about Christ's resurrection and ours. Christ's resurrection and ours. And I was so excited this morning. I, I, felt, like, I felt like that time where my basketball team won the world championship. Have you ever had a sports team that you really followed and cared about win it all? I mean, for me, it was the Los Angeles Lakers. And I remember when they won the world championship of basketball in the NBA finals. I mean, I was on such a high. I was high-fiving strangers on the street, you know. I was just smiling for a week, and I was so excited. And, and that's how I felt this week uh, as I was reading through our Bible reading plan. Because if you have been reading through your Bible reading plan, there was a victory gained in the Bible reading plan. We were reading through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you read through that this week, even though if you know the ending, right? Some of you have maybe read a story or watched a movie maybe 20 times because you like the ending so much. And you know what's coming. You know the hero wins, but still you get excited and afterwards you're like... Yes, you know, that was wonderful. And, and even though you know that Jesus Christ is not going to stay in the tomb, when you read it again, you just kind of go, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And so that's what I felt this morning. And, and I hope you've been blessed by reading the Bible because something special happened at the grave 2,000 years ago. And sometimes stories would bring to our remembrance how significant that event was. And one story that I was reminded this week that brought the significance of Jesus breaking through and gaining victory over death was the story of the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall began when the Allied powers came in World War II and invaded Germany and the war ended. And, and the country was divided into Eastern and Western Germany. The Allies were in Western Germany. The Soviet Union took over Eastern Germany. And the Western German part of the country was prospering. Jobs were growing, you know, factories were going up, and people were just leaving Eastern Germany to go over to Western Germany because it was a democracy and it was doing well financially. And so the Eastern German officials decided to put up a strong border where people could not cross. But that didn't solve the solution because in the middle of Eastern Germany, there was a capital called Berlin. And Berlin was still an open city, meaning it didn't matter if you were part of West Germany or Eastern Germany, you could walk back and forth in that city that also was divided. And if you walked over to the 
side of the Allied powers, you could ask permission to then move to Western Germany. So people were still by the thousands moving to Western Germany till one morning, the citizens of Berlin woke up to thousands of soldiers making a line from one end of the city to the other, and they made a human wall. And as I stood there, guns in hands, not allowing anyone to cross over, other men behind them, other soldiers, began building the wall. And that was the day that the wall went up. And that was the day that they put landmines and armed soldiers so that no one was allowed to cross from the Allied side of Berlin to the, so, to the Soviet or the Eastern side of Germany. And people tried, over a hundred people tried and died trying to cross over that border. For 28 years, those Germans who had left family members behind left them as good as dead because they thought they'd never see them. They'd never talk to them. They would never have a relationship with them because they were behind this impenetrable wall that nothing could ever tear down. It wasn't a steel wall or an iron wall, but for them it might as well have been. There was no way to get across that. But you know that's not how the story ends, right? Because about 30 years ago, events started to happen little by little. I think one of them was Ronald Reagan telling them to tear down the, the wall. I think another one was David Hasselhoff going and singing about tearing down the wall too. But one night 30 years ago, in eastern Germany, an official decided to put out a memo from the top ups. And the memo was at the end of a press release and it simply said, the borders are now open. Anyone could freely cross. Now, he made a mistake because at the end of the memo it said, you have to go to this office and ask for permission. But he pretty much said, anybody could cross now. And that very night, thousands of people went to the wall and the soldiers didn't know, so they opened up the doors, and people streamed through. And before you knew it, people were tearing down the wall. And I was watching the news reports of 30 years ago, and people from simply stepping from one side to the other, their life was transformed. They said, this is incredible. This is awesome. I never thought this was going to happen before. I never thought the wall was going to come down. I never thought that the soldiers would stand down. And some of you remember that day. It's engraved in your mind. And that was one of the great days of democracy. How many of you remember that day? Anyone here? All right. Some of you do. And that day is special and it's significant. But it's not as significant as special as what happened 2,000 years ago. Because there was not a wall, but there seemed to be an impenetrable, an impenetrable stone that was rolled over a grave. And no one had ever crossed over from death back to life. And it seemed not only was it impossible to get through that stone wall, but it was also impossible because it was also guarded by soldiers, Roman soldiers, day, all night, and the day before, it was guarded and sealed by the Roman seal. But you know how the story ends. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 28, if you want to open up your Bible, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 if you don't have a Bible, there's pew Bibles in front of you. And I'm on page 1150, 1150, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1. 
Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is what? He is risen. He is risen. Man, I think you guys would get more excited if Michigan State won or something, because right now you're not very excited about the most momentous event in Christian history. This is it. This here is it. This is the moment when everything changed. When Jesus came forth out of that tomb, everything changed, and it's been what's been propelling Christianity forward ever since that day. You know, in the 18th century, there was a lot of thought leaders in Europe and in England. And two of the greatest thought leaders of that time were two men by the name of Gilbert West and Lord Littleton. And they thought that the Bible was just false. It was just man-made fantasies. And they were intellectuals, so they determined to expose it. And so they decided to write a book attacking what they considered to be the two greatest pillars or miracles of the early Christian church. And so Lord Littleton chose the conversion of St. Paul. Remember when the Lord appeared to him in a great light and spoke to him. And Gilbert West, the other intellectual, decided to attack the resurrection of Christ. And the plan was they were going to go their separate ways, write their manuscripts, investigate and find all the errors in Christianity in these two miracle events. And then they would come together, join their manuscripts, and write and publish a book that would destroy Christianity. So sometime later, they got together. And Lord Littleton said, I have written my book. And I have a confession to make, he said. When I studied all the evidence of the story of the conversion of St. Paul, it weighed up by all the laws of evidence and I found that he was miraculously converted in spite of himself. And I am now a Christian, and I have written my book affirming the conversion of St. Paul and not against it. Now you would expect Gilbert West, the other intellectual, to be kind of shocked. But he wasn't shocked or surprised at all. He said, I have a similar confession to make. I have found that the resurrection of Christ to be a proved fact, and I have written my book defending it. I, too, have become a believer. And Gilbert West's book, The Observations on the History and Evidence of the Resurrection of Jesus Christ, has been used for many years to show the validity and the truth of the resurrection of Jesus that day. And anyone who reads the New Testament will discover that the foothold of the Christian church that led to people going with great conviction to preach all over the world under persecution, under all terrible circumstances, their conviction and their power was because they truly, truly believed that Jesus had resurrected. Do you believe that Jesus has resurrected? Because 
whether you believe if Jesus has resurrected has a great effect whether you resurrect or don't. And I'm not talking about your bodily resurrection. I'm talking about your spiritual resurrection. Because if there's no power to resurrect Jesus, there's no power to resurrect you from where you are today. Now, Jesus wasn't hiding his resurrection. He wasn't hiding his death. Early on in his ministry, he said to the people in Jerusalem in John chapter 2, verse 19 and 21, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And we are told he spoke of the temple of his body. So early on in his ministry, he kind of started breaking the news, but you got to remember his disciples were just babies in the faith, right? So he didn't come straight out and say, hey guys, I'm going to be crucified, tortured, I'm going to be buried, but it's okay because I'm going to be resurrected. He had to slowly break things down for them so that they would get used to this news and, and not be shocked. And so he began talking allegorically. He's talking about his body as a temple that is going to be destroyed and then in three days raised up. When he was in his ministry in Galilee, after healing the demoniac, the Bible tells us that he said in Matthew 12, 40, As Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be there be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the disciples were like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know what you're, exactly you're saying, but that sounds kind of weird. But as he progressed in his ministry, he started getting a little bit more descriptive and exact. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 22, 23, he said, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. And the disciples were filled with grief. So now he's telling them, I'm actually going to be, I'm actually going to be killed. But, but don't be sad because I'm going to resurrect. And that's when the disciples started to feel like, no, Lord, like, don't say that. Like, why would you even talk like that? Like, you're going to be king. You're, you're going to be king. You're, you're going to be accepted by everyone. Don't be talking about dying, or even if you talk about resurrection. No, we don't want to hear that. But he knew what was coming, and so he continued being very direct with them. Matthew 20, he said, The Son of Man will be betrayed. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the, from the dead. And he was so confident that even at the Last Supper, he started telling his disciples, when I have arisen. In other words, making plans for afterwards. Have you ever had that type of confidence before in your life? Where you don't know if something's going to work out, but you start making plans for what comes, what comes after that? What's going to happen after you do this? I'm not sure if I'm going to pass my nursing classes but I want to plan where my job is when I have my nursing license. Like, I'm not sure if I'm going to pass this class, but I'm going to make plans when I'm already a graduated nurse, right? Like, you start thinking in faith. Jesus knew that he was going to face death, but he was confident in God's power to conquer the grave. Now, applying that to you, are you confident that God has the power to resurrect you spiritually, 
Does he have the power to help you take another step in a Christ-like behavior? Does he have the authority in your life to help you to overcome the challenges that you feel like you're stuck in in your spiritual relationship with him? Now, all the four Gospels talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And they also talk about that he appeared for 40 days after his resurrection, and that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And uh, we know that Jesus was resurrected from the dead because the Bible and, and just common sense and history tell us that he did die. In fact, the Roman soldiers made sure that no one would leave that cross unless they were dead. When they came to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus, he said, are you sure he's dead? And they're like, he's like, make sure he's dead before I give him the body. Because the worst thing you could do is give a live Jesus and then they're going to say, he resurrected and now we're going to have a problem. So make sure he's really dead. Because this man's been talking about, I'm going to come back to life. Make sure that he can't come back, can't pretend to be coming back to life because he's dead. And so the Bible tells us that the Roman soldiers went to him on the cross and with a spear, they made sure he was dead. Now you've seen the paintings, right? It's like this long spear and then they like, they do this like a little poke right here. It's almost like a, a poke that they do for the, the, uh, your sugar checks, right? It's like the smallest little poke and there's like a drop of blood or a little bit of blood. That's not how it was. Because the reason that they were doing it right here is because this is how you get under the ribs. And under the ribs is the heart. What they were really doing is that they were jamming the spear under his ribs all the way to his heart. And they pierced his heart. And that's how they determined that he was dead. And that's why the Bible says that when we sin, we are crucifying Christ again. Because when you sin, you pierce his heart. You break his heart. You pierce him to the innermost. It hurts him because he loves you so much. And it hurts him that you're choosing to continue a life of disobedience apart from him. There was no doubt that Jesus was dead. Everyone knew that he was dead. In fact, that's why when the Jews decided to try to counteract the resurrection of Jesus and, and, say, that, and say that it was uh, not true, they didn't say that he was alive. They said that someone stole his body because they knew he was dead. And they knew that there was an empty tomb. Everybody knew there was an empty tomb. Because the disciples didn't go preach in New York City. They didn't go preach in Istanbul. They were preaching in the very city that Jesus died. So anybody could have called false by just walking to the tomb and seeing the body of Jesus. But there was no body in the tomb. Not one evidence of a body there. And so the soldiers went back and they told Pilate that the disciples had come and stolen the body of Jesus while they were sleeping. That sound like a good excuse or a bad excuse? What's the faulty logic in that? Have you ever thought about that? The logic is, if they stole the body while you guys were sleeping, 
how do you know that the body was stolen and who stole it? Because you were? You were sleeping, right? I am surprised that Pilate didn't execute them all right then and there. But I think the Jews had a, a little part in play in, in preserving their life. So you understand that Jesus was dead. The grave was empty. Everybody knew the grave was empty. And another thing that really makes it real that he was resurrected was who were the first witnesses to the resurrection. We just read it in Matthew chapter 28. Who came? The women came. And you understand that in those days, a woman didn't even have the legal status of being a witness in court cases. In other words, I don't take your word for it, women. <laughs> like, if you were going to make up a story of Jesus resurrecting, if it was false and you made it up, the last person you would choose to be a witness would be a, a woman, much less a woman of bad reputation as Mary had in her past. And one of the evidences that Jesus really did resurrect, and it wasn't a made-up story, is that the person who found the empty tomb and declared that Jesus was not there was a woman. And that's why the disciples were like, ah, we don't believe you. And that's why women are not allowed in court. They get too emotional, start imagining things. We don't believe you. And Jesus had to appear to them in person and say, no, no, no. I truly am resurrected. The tomb is completely empty. And the last point of why we know that the resurrection is true, that is, if the disciples would have made up the lie that Jesus resurrected, as soon as they face death for their lies, they would have been like, whoa, 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 this, this joke has gone a little bit too far, you know. I was, I was, yeah, I was making it up, you know. It was all in good until you guys started talking about jail and you're going to take my money, you're going to crucify me too. All right, all right, I was making this all up. Because no one is willing to die for a lie. But the disciples were willing to die. The Bible says that 500 saw him after and they were all willing to, to die as well. And people don't die for a lie. And so Jesus really died. The tomb was really empty. Mary was the first witness. And then many more saw him after that and they were willing to die. They had a conviction that Jesus they saw die on the cross. They saw the spear go in his heart. And now he was appearing to them. And they realized that something had happened. And the Christian church took off. Because the message was, hey, have you ever seen someone dead rise back to life? No, my God has never done that. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus did miracles. Jesus loved on people. Jesus did everything that is good and right. But they, they betrayed him. They, they put him on a false trial. He was crucified. He died. But guess what? Go to the grave. It's empty. Talk to, talk to this apostle. Talk to Mary. They saw him with their own eyes. They ate with him. They talked with him. And guess what? He is alive and he's at the right hand of God. And that was the message that started the Christian movement and spurred it forward. 
And 20 years later, 20 years later, we find that the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians in chapter 15, says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And after that he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. And it was exciting because you had witnesses who were there and who saw it and who experienced it. And that's why I get excited when I, when I talk to some of people who who've, uh, are a little bit more advanced in age and knowledge and wisdom than me. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching and talking about a man landed on the moon. How many of you were alive during that time? And some of you raised your hands. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Like, can you tell me what that was like, right? Or when the Berlin Wall came down, I know years from now, people are going to be asking me, do you remember September 11? Were you there? Were you there when these important events happened? But, but then, you know, as the years go by, people are, are passing away. World War I veterans, right? Pretty soon all the World War II veterans, people who, who saw and experienced the Holocaust, pretty soon these things pass away. And, and there's young people today, the most significant event in my life was September 11. There's kids today who weren't alive during that time and they're learning about it in a textbook. And it's so different when you read it in a textbook than when you talk to someone and they tell you what they went through, what they experienced. But as the years go by and by, before you know it, all those people who had a first-hand knowledge all pass away. And the only thing you are left with is a book and a story. And the same power that the resurrection had at the beginning, it's not there anymore. Because there's not someone saying, I saw Jesus die. I saw him go in the grave. And I saw him back alive. And so we say, where's the Christian church going to find the power, the excitement, the authority to go out and say, hey, hey, something amazing is happening here. But I wasn't there when he was risen. What do we have now? What are we going to do? What message are we going to give if you weren't there at the grave? You weren't there when he resurrected. You believe it, but you weren't a witness. And the answer is found in Romans chapter 6, verse 5. And it tells us, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Do you guys get that? That even though you were not at the grave when Jesus resurrected, and you're not a witness to the power of Jesus resurrecting from the grave, you are a witness of another resurrection. And that's the resurrection of all those who have been lost 
and converted and come to Christ. That's why I'm really excited this morning about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That even though it was a long time ago, and I don't have any witnesses that are living today that could tell me about it. That same power that broke through that stone and knocked the soldiers flat on their back and resurrected Jesus back to Christ. That same power is present today. And that same power is resurrecting people today. And that's why it's a pleasure in a privilege to be a pastor because I have seen people, they're dead. Let me tell you, they're dead. And that's why I want more testimonies, right, Josephine? I was dead and no peace. I was, my life was bad, you know. Relationships were messed up. But the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ to life came into my life and gave me peace, gave me harmony with other people. And I know Jesus resurrected, not just from the historical facts. I know Jesus resurrected because I've seen some of you resurrect from death to life. You know what I'm talking about. Don't make me point any fingers. <laughs> but even me, I have the testimony now that I know Jesus resurrected from the dead because he has resurrected me from the dead. He has taken me from a life of no purpose, a life of selfish gain, a life of sadness, to a life of purpose, to a life of love, to a life of forgiveness. And if you feel like you are missing something in your life, maybe it's because you need God's resurrecting power in your life. Maybe that's why you're here in church this morning, because you've heard those Christians, there's something about those Christians. Go check out the church. You might find what you need there. And people are constantly coming into this church. Some stay, some go. But people are looking. They're looking for something because life has been full of disappointments. Life has been not fulfilling their greatest needs. And they come to church and if they see dead people just like they're dead, they're going to say, the power ain't here. But when they see people who are constantly being transformed from life unto death, they're going to say, I don't know what's happening here, but there's a power here that I need to connect to. And that power is the power of the Holy Spirit that resurrects your life. So let me ask you, do you have some area in your life that needs to be resurrected, that needs to be changed, that needs to be transformed? Let me end today with giving you one step, one step that you need to take to connect to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. And that one is very simple. When Jesus began his ministry, the Bible tells us that he began with a message in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Would you open there? Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach. And what did he begin to preach? Listen to what it says. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Ah, oh, Pastor Silva, man, you were going positive and all good and uplifting, and now you're talking about repent? What are you talking about, Pastor? You know, sometimes people worry about words like that. You know, we, 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 we learn, use a lot of words that are very positive and affirming up here, right? And we're getting away from words like repent. But friends, it's, it's not really if it's positive and affirming. It's, it's whether it's true or false. You know, the, the serpent told Eve, if you eat of this tree, tree, you will not die. Was that very positive and affirming? It was, but it was false. Jesus said, if you eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. That sounded really negative, right? But it was true. Jesus began his ministry with repent. John the Baptist introduced the ministry of Jesus by saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 3, in verse 19, when the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples and Peter stood up to preach in front of everybody, what's the message? He could have preached about anything, but he decided to say in verse 19, chapter 3 of Acts, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of of the Lord. So just so you know clearly what I'm talking about when I say resurrection, when I say transformation, it might be a little bit vague. I'm talking about, friends, we're sinning. And sin leads to physical and moral death. And God is asking you to die to that old man of sin and resurrect to a new man in him. But in order to do that, you need to repent. You know, many people hear something else. Come to Jesus, and he will accept you as you are. Have you heard that before? Is that biblical or unbiblical? Oh, you're like, I'm not sure. What's he going to say? Yes or no? I don't want to raise my hand. Is that biblical or unbiblical? Jesus accepts you as you are. Well, you have to go to the word, right? What does accept mean? When you look in the dictionary, accept means status quo, stays the same. So I want to use a different word. Jesus doesn't accept you as you are. Jesus receives you as you are. Jesus receives everybody. No matter your background, your sins, wherever you're coming from, Jesus receives you. But the prodigal son came to the father, stinking like pig, broke, hungry. And if the father would have accepted him as he was, he would have said, come son, hungry, broke, stinking, come into the house and stay this way. But instead the father received him, and the Bible says that he commanded that they change his clothes and put on a ring on him and seat him down at a feast. Jesus receives you and he calls you to repent because understood correctly repentance is an invitation to change from death unto unto life from death unto life we're gonna end with uh, one of my favorite websites it has a lot of good articles called Christianity Today have you heard of that website I think they used to do a magazine but that was way before my day but one of the most uh, powerful, <laughs> I'm not sure how long ago that was. It was before my time. 
one of the most powerful things they do is that at the end of every year, they have an article called the top 10 testimonies of the year. And they'll put the testimonies of people who have gone from death unto life on there. And I love reading those things. I love reading those things because it shows that God's resurrection power is still available. This year, in the year 2019, I'm not sure who's going to be on that. Uh, I'm not sure who's going to be on there. But maybe I'm guessing I know one person who might be there. And for some of you who might not know at all, there's a famous rapper by the name of Kanye West. Have you heard of him? If you said yes, then I'm going to pray for you, okay? Just kidding. <laughs> and this is a man who, who openly mocked Jesus. He would, he would say, insinuate in his songs that he was taking the place of Jesus. He gave him nicknames sounding like the name of Jesus. And he went through a lot of episodes where he almost committed suicide. He's been struggling with mental health disorders. And through all that experience, he admitted that he was working for the devil. And about a year ago, he started holding what he calls Sunday services or church services at his house. It started out as music. Then he started inviting pastors to share little messages and in one of those services, and it's recorded, he just broke down crying and crying and crying and crying. And one of his fellow friends, who was also a rapper, who was a Christian, told him how to come to Jesus. And the first step was an invitation to repentance. It began a transformation from one man to another and he just released a couple of weeks ago a new album with no cuss words. And it's an album called Jesus is King Dedicated to God. I'm not telling you go listen to it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that never in a thousand years would I thought that man would ever, ever have the words come out of his mouth, Jesus is my king. And now he's talking to his wife about dressing, dressing with more, more modesty and all that kind of stuff. But you know what that tells me? That the power of the resurrection is alive today. And I refuse to be part of a church who doesn't have that power. So I want to hear before all of you say, as a pastor, I'm inviting God's Holy Spirit to come and continue to change me from my sins to a life of no sin. And God has done that for me already, but he's going to continue doing that for us. And we are going to have the resurrection and revival here. But my invitation is also for you. Repent of your sins, for the kingdom of God is here now. And he's coming soon. It's not a negative message. It's an invitation to transform and get that power of the resurrection in your life. And I wonder, maybe your story won't be the top ten in Christianity today. But I, sure, I am sure there will be top one million in heaven today. Because <laughs> God celebrates everyone who turns to him. So I want to ask as we uh, end today, if we could ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes because I know that there's sin 
among God's people. I know that we, we struggle at times in backsliding. I know we struggle at times with, with sins that maybe we've never given up or maybe it's just the deeper things, the character flaws that are holding us back and we need to give it up to you. And so I want to ask as we end our service today, if that message of repentance spoke to you this morning, and it's not a negative message, but it's an invitation to change. It's an invitation to, back, to walk back into the light from the darkness. It's an invitation to see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ could be your resurrection this morning. If you felt that you want that change, you want that power, that you want that peace, as Josephine spoke in your life, and you want to take the first step this morning and say, Lord, I repent, whatever it may be in your life, I repent and lay it at the cross. I want to ask that your blood covers my sins, and I want to begin a relationship with you or continue relationship with you. Friends, don't leave church without making that decision. Don't leave church. The Holy Spirit is moving upon your hearts as he was moving at the tomb. And today could be the start of a new life in Christ, a newness of life, as the Bible calls it. Would you raise your hand if that is your desire today to do that, to walk into light, repent, and take the power of the resurrection? Amen. Amen. And amen. God loves you so much. He's rejoicing. And I can't wait to hear your testimony in the upcoming months. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for church. Thank you so much we could come here and listen to your word. Thank you so much we could honor people. We could hear testimonies. We could pray together. We could lean upon each other. We could raise up children knowing you. And I pray, Lord, that this church would have a revival every year, every week, and every day. Because you're coming soon, and your power is here with us. And so we can't help it. We raise our hands, and we accept it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all say, amen.